I'm just going to jump right into it here. John chapter 9, verse 1. Um, we are picking up a story here where Jesus comes in contact with a blind man, a man who's been born blind, and heals him. And it leads us down a path of many interesting questions. I'm actually going to split this entire chapter into two weeks. So this week we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of the blind man. Next week we'll be looking at it from the perspective of the Pharisees. Um, because there's a whole nother basically section to this story, and I didn't want to try to jam in like 50 verses into one morning. I know you guys give me a hard time about going too long, so I'm not going to do that. So uh, I'm going to pick up the story here, and this is Jesus um, with, traveling along with his disciples. Just What's just happened before this is Jesus had this encounter with uh, people in the synagogue on the, the temple courts, and they basically asked him who he is, and he very explicitly tells them, Hey, um, remember the guy who was in the burning bush? Um, That was me. The guy who was before Abraham, the guy who made everything, the guy who is God, that was me. He said, I am, who basically invoked the name of of God. And we've talked a little bit about John as we've been going through some of these stories that John has. Basically, these um, very few number of signs. This is number six out of, I believe, eight signs that are in the book of John, where John shows that Jesus is the, the Messiah. He is, the, you know, God. And, and also John uses uh, seven I am statements. I am the bread of life is one we looked at a couple weeks ago. I am light. Um, and so that one will come up again here in a minute. But basically Jesus is just in front of everyone, told them, I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm the Messiah. I'm, I'm God. I stepped out of heaven and into this place. And here I am standing here right in front of you. And it says, in that moment, the Jews picked up rocks to stone Jesus, and then he slipped away. Guys, come on. What, what, what happened with that? Like, Jesus just d- disappeared? It was like a cloak thing? Like, here he is, and he's gone? You know, like, I, I want to know how Jesus slipped away from an entire crowd in the middle of the temple. It was just, was there a trap door? Like, how did this work? It was Holy Spirit? He just, like, disintegrated and reappeared somewhere else? Like, he went invisible. I don't know how this worked exactly, but that, that me, to me is a miracle. And so Jesus basically got this reputation now of somebody who's calling himself God, and now he's sort of proving to people who he is in this, in this story for sure. So here, here's where we go. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 1. And he went along, he went along after he disappeared from the people that were trying to stone him, and he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And so we need to focus on a couple of things in this statement. All right. So he's set up the scene. Uh, John has set up the scene here by saying he saw a man blind from birth. There were probably many reasons why you could have been blind in that day and age. In fact, I listened to one uh, very interesting uh, scholar talk about how blindness was connected to venereal disease in the first century. And, and this guy's parents probably had gonorrhea. I thought, that's not probably biblically accurate at all. I don't understand why we're talking about this. But it would have made sense with the question, why is this man blind? If he was born blind, was it his, his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be blind? There was a connection for Jews between sin and between suffering that we see here evident in this question. The disciples are like following Jesus around, and they're asking him every question they've ever had in their mind. How cool would this have been, by the way? Like, you know... If you've ever had like a three-year-old in the why stage, we get laughter from one parent, right? Uh, try having Miles in the why stage. <laughs> Only people who know Miles think that's funny. 
Um, you know, that stage where it's like, hey, hey, Dad, why, why, why do clouds look like that? You know, and then you're like, well, there's weather patterns and, you know, that moisture goes up, comes down, you know, you're trying to explain things. Well, why does that happen? Well, whatever, like, why is that? And you eventually you ask why in this, like, in this, like, circular conversation where eventually you get to, because, I don't know, I'm a parent, shut up, just take my, like, because God made it that way is one way to end. Because I told you that's the way it is is one way to end. Because science, I don't know, is one way. Because Google said, I'm not sure. But like you get to a place where eventually there's like a question you can't answer at the core of all the questions that you ask. Hey, Dad, why this? Why that? Why this? Why that? Finally, it's like, because I said, I don't know. Or you worn me out. I'm tired. I can't go any further. Can you imagine Jesus having to deal with the disciples? Because if... I was following around Jesus. I have like a whole list of questions queued up, ready to go. He would have, you know, I should go back and say, uh, middle school, Sunday school. Uh, I just just started going to church. I was probably like 12 or 13. Didn't really understand anything about the Bible. And I would go to this classroom, and the teacher would be teaching us stuff from the Bible. And I would ask so many questions that, Eventually, the, the teacher, Tom Vitus, God love him. I know he's out there somewhere. That man had unbelievable patience with me. Eventually, he just threw me out of the class. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh, you threw me out of the class? Like, yeah, like he asked too many questions. And my mom was like, yep, that fits. Um, and it took me a while to get back in the class. I had to learn etiquette in church. Uh, not all of us grew up knowing how to act and behave in church. I asked lots and lots of questions. Can you imagine what Jesus was, was going through as he was like just walking around with his disciples and using everyday objects as ways to teach them? Often he would pick something up and be like, the kingdom of God is like this. Or he'd look at something and point out something, the kingdom of God is like that. And he would tell them these stories using object lessons because when you're working with middle schoolers, the best thing to do is to give them an object lesson. So this turns into the perfect object lesson. The, the disciples ask this question, hey, we've kind of been taught that sin and suffering are connected, Jesus. So why is this guy suffering? Was it his own personal sin that created this kind of situation, which is a ridiculous thing because he was an infant when he was blind, he was born blind? Or was it his parents that sinned? As if to say God gives blind children to parents as a punishment for their, for their sin? And that in, in uh, Israel in that day, there were like many viewpoints on why somebody would be suffering like that. And one of the things that they uh, kicked around was parents had done something generationally that had led to uh, some sort of congenital disease for their child. Or there was a couple of rabbis that were on the train of uh, babies can sin in the womb. Apparently, if you've had one of those babies that kicks you too much. Nope, bad joke. Okay. (laughs) But, But I mean, the craziest idea is to come up with the idea of why suffering exists in the world. Was it this guy's sin that caused him to suffer, or was it his parents' sin that caused him to suffer? Because we know sin is what caused this. And I want to stop before I talk more about sin and suffering, and I want to say there are consequences to our sin, and often it causes suffering. Oftentimes we make choices that are terrible, and we're not protected from the consequences of that sin all the time. Now, while God offers us forgiveness of sin and says, hey, I'll make you right, you'll be righteous the moment that you receive my son and receive the forgiveness that is available to you, the grace that is available to you, it doesn't mean that the consequences of your sin always go away. There are consequences to sin. It does create suffering. Oftentimes, people do suffer because they make horrible choices and they sin. In this situation, not one of those, right? 
How could a baby have chosen to be, do something that would have made them blind? And how could a parent whose you know, unconditional love for their child would have been created a congenital disease? Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, we've been getting this all wrong, that this connection between sin and suffering is, let me, let me explain, or let me kind of clarify that for you. It's not exactly what you think. And if you find yourself suffering, you can ask the question, what did I do to create this sort of situation? And there might be an answer to that. You know, if you decide to be an alcoholic, there's going to be consequences to your alcoholism. If you decide to, you know, whatever it is, there's going to be something that comes along with that that you're going to have to suffer through and deal with. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay? And so Jesus wants to clarify this connection between sin and suffering, help them understand why the world doesn't exactly seem the way that it should. You know, this takes me back to this sort of idea of, uh, if, I, if I could make a very dated reference, although maybe not so dated anymore because we've just had a, a reboot of it, but The Matrix, nobody, anybody? The uh, reboot, don't watch, it's an abomination and shouldn't exist, and it was, I waited 30 years of my life for this movie to come about, and it just crushed my soul and was terrible. Uh, but in the original, you know, as Morpheus is offering the pills to, to Neo, he says, you know, you know there's something going on, right? There's something below the surface. Like, you feel it. You're aware of it. There's something about it that you're just not okay with. You kind of see that there's something around you that's just not quite right, but you can't really figure it out. And he's like, I'll, I'll show you. That's kind of what Jesus is saying to them. He's like, in that question, you are pointing out the idea that there is something definitely not right about the world that we live in. And you know it. This guy sitting blind next to the gate at the temple, there's something wrong with this. This shouldn't be. Why is this happening? You know there's something wrong with the rest of creation. You know there's something beneath the surface that's creating all of this. And so your question is coming out of that, but the way that you're kind of getting to the answer is not the right way to get there. You can't blame the person who's suffering or the, the parents in this situation. There's another idea here. So this is what Jesus says. Um, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus rarely answers a question with a direct response. Almost always Jesus answers a question with another question or with a story. He'll be like, Jesus, who, you know, who uh, sinned, this person or his parents? And he'll be like, let me tell you a story about a guy. He almost always does that. In this case, he answers it directly. Okay? He wants to make sure that there's like no confusion about this situation. He wants to basically say, hey, the way that, that, that Israel's been teaching on this, this idea of sin and suffering, and the fact that, that this man might have created the suffering in his life, or this, the, his parents might have created the suffering in his life, neither of those things is accurate. Let me redefine your idea of what this looks like. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. And you're like, I don't love that answer. Right? If you think about that answer, why? What are we saying here? What is Jesus saying here? It, at, at first blush, it might seem like Jesus is saying, this man was born blind so that on this day, after he was you know, 20 or 30 years old, I could heal him and show you who, who, who I am and the power that I have. That's, that's not an awesome answer. That guy has suffered his entire life so that way God could receive glory in this moment. And so it makes you wonder when you read something like that, what am I missing here? What's, what's going on here? And I don't know how you study the Bible. Obviously, I dig. I dig. I'm a, I love the details of Scripture. 
I am definitely a detail-oriented person in this one area of my life. Almost nowhere else do I love details. But when it comes to this, I will take apart every single word to understand what this originally meant. And this statement here gets just really stinks. It really doesn't say to us what I think Jesus meant, the complexity of what he said and how he said it. So one of the things that I would encourage you to do if you come to a passage where you're like, I don't understand this verse. Do, do me a favor. Do not repeat after me. I won't Google it. Just say, I won't Google it. Because when you Google it, you get a really terrible answer. Okay? You've got to go to a source that you know is a great place to go. I, use, uh, I, I could teach you, if you're one of these people like me and your brain works this way, I could teach you how to use a, a great website called Blue Letter Bible, which will let you read the original language and understand the actual um, original language, the original words. But one of the other things you could do that's really easily is you're probably reading it in an app and you have like 16 versions available. Go read three other versions. Just see if there's any, any change in the meaning uh, of from one version to another. The, in the NIV, the ESV, the message version, these are all versions that use different methods to take apart scripture and then reinterpret it into English. And it's not that they're doing it differently, like they have a, a committee of people who are making decisions on translation, although some of them do. But it's more that they're taking apart either word by word or, or, or phrase by phrase, or they're, they're doing the translation work a little bit different, which leads to a little bit different way of understanding. So let me just read you the message version of it, because I thought it actually was really good. He said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. JK, LOL, that was the NIV. Hold on. Let me pull this up real quick since I have it in front of me. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be... JK, LOL. This is broken. Okay, go look it up later. Here's what I want to say about it. Uh, Jesus is not saying this man was born blind so that in this moment he, he could receive glory from him. He is saying that in this moment, God's going to use this situation, this moment of the question being asked, the public forum the man being here, right here, having the, the amount of faith that he has as a way to show what Jesus can do in our lives and in these, in these moments. He's not saying, I take responsibility for making this man blind for 20 years so he could sit next to the gate so that everybody could see him, and then I'm going to heal him so that everybody can see. I do think that there are situations, and, and I've met people who are remarkable people, who have had situations from the time they were born, either in... Um, you know, having uh, sight issues, being in a wheelchair, having certain things in their life that they were born with, and they have used those things to communicate the gospel to people, to tell their story to people, to have these moments where they are able to use those things for God's glory. We do read that God uses everything in our lives for the good of those who love him. In Romans chapter 8, it says that he uses all those things, all the things that happen in our lives, all the situations that we run into, but there's a really a thing under the surface here, a current running under the surface here, to understand why this sort of uh, sinful, evil, kind of terrible thing that's entered into our world has kind of messed everything up, and why that is, why we're, Jesus is allowing that thing to happen, why a person might be born blind, why they might be blind for their entire life, why that might not be a terrible thing, why it could be healed, all of these things. Jesus is saying, hey, in this moment, in this Second here, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to teach you guys. He wasn't born blind for this moment. It's this moment that is redeeming 
his suffering. And if you were going to ask Jesus if this man was suffering or the parents were suffering, it's a good opportunity for him to talk about sin and suffering. Because suffering does, is connected to sin. Suffering in our world, the suffering that we have no control over, the stuff that we don't create in our own lives, that stuff is connected to sin. But it's not connected to individual sin often. There is sin that is individual that creates suffering, yes. But most of this kind of sin, or most of this kind of suffering is connected to a different kind of sin. If Jesus were directly answering this question in a different way, I think he might say, neither this man nor his parents had sinned. But this is a sin that's connected to the brokenness of the world. This, sorry, this is a suffering that's connected to the brokenness of the world. And this suffering comes from sin. It comes from Adam's sin. The world around us is broken because of sin. It's not his sin. It's not their sin. It's our collective sin or Adam's initial sin. That what broke the world, what created all of this, right, is sin. It's created suffering in our world. But it's not to be put on the person or the people in this situation. It's ours as an entire humanity. And I know that this... This is a little bit difficult to understand. So let me, just, let me just give you a thought exercise. And I often use this thought exercise when I'm trying to explain uh, original sin. Not that I feel like we come out with this, like, uh, like we have sin, but we have the desire to and the nature of sin in us when we were born. And all you have to do is be around like a two-year-old who starts to you know, put their, their life, uh, starts to understand what they can do and starts to manipulate all the people around them and starts to make decisions that you're like, why is my child being a demon right now? I don't understand what's going on here. Um, so let me just give you this idea, right? God creates the, the garden and he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, one thing he never tells us about them is how long they like made it in the garden. Like, I want to know that. Those are one of the details that I want, I've like studied and tried to figure out how long were they in the garden. Were they in the garden for like a week? Or was it like 10,000 years? Like time is a really tough thing when you like start to look at the original ideas. Like how do we understand what time, how time is working in Genesis when it's a poem in the first couple chapters and we're just kind of getting the big ideas? Did they make it a week? Did they make it 10,000 years? Uh, and I generally go back to the idea of like, are you a rule follower, aren't you? Okay, so are, if you're a rule follower, just raise your hand. You have to because you're a rule follower. I just told you you have to. If you're not a rule follower, raise your hand. No hands raised. Okay? I think some of us who are rule followers would say, you know, I'd probably make it a really long time if you told me just don't touch that tree. Because in me, I generally am a person who doesn't like to break rules. I just am built that way. My wife is one of these people. I think if my wife were in the, in the garden on her own, she's probably at home watching this. We have a sick baby at home, right? Sick, sick eight-year-old. I shouldn't say baby. She'd be mad at me for saying that. Um, she'd make it the 10,000 years. She'd put up a fence around the tree. Like, she'd have, like, people stationed. As soon as she started to have, like, children, she'd have people stationed around it. She'd probably train, like, some animal to guard it, you know, like, like she would do things to make sure nobody touched the tree. If it was me in the garden, I am a rule breaker. If anyone there is a rule breaker, like the first time someone turns their head around, like the first time someone's not paying attention, I'm grabbing that fruit, I'm looking at it, I'm smelling it, I'm thinking about it, I'm talking to people about it, 
I put it down, I go back, I go, you know, that fruit looks really good. Like, I think we should, I think we should really think about making it. I think it would really make a great pie, you know? <laughs> like, and you, you think about that. Like, if you were in the garden, how long did you make it? This is a great conversation to have with your spouse or your small group. Figure out in your group who would make it longest in the garden before they would sin. Here's the thing, though. All of us would. Right? Like, the sin nature in us is to serve ourselves and to do the thing that we're not supposed to do. It's just how we are. Right? We, it doesn't matter how long you make it. It doesn't matter how good you are. You might be unbelievable. You might be, like, the best person in this room. We could rank everybody. Like, we could say, oh, starting here, you know, who's, here's the best person in the room, all the way to the worst person in the room. We could look at what everyone does in their life, and it wouldn't matter. Because inside of all of us is a sinful nature, right? Inside of all of us is a desire to serve ourselves. And what Jesus is really saying here is it's not individual sin that's created this problem. This world is broken because of our desire to sin, like, collectively. The Adam and Eve, the first sinners in the world, did that, and you would have too. You would have done the same thing. There would have been some point where you did what God told you not to do. And so it doesn't matter that it was Adam and Eve, and it doesn't matter how long it took. I guess that's probably why they don't tell me how long it took. Right? Eventually, it would have, it would have been me too. Because I'm sinful. Because I have a sinful nature, and so do you. And so Jesus is connecting the suffering to sin, but not to the sinful man and not to his parents, to the brokenness in the world around him. And when we step back and understand suffering you know, when we look at the worst kinds of suffering, we think about things that don't make any sense to us at all, that we can't, you know, reason through, we can't figure out why God would allow for this, why this would, we have to step back and say, this is a brokenness in our world that has created whatever it is that we're dealing with right now. But yeah, we also create sin in our own, or suffering in our own sin, but there's a lot of suffering in our world that is created through the collective nature of the brokenness of the world because of the first sin. Is that connecting? So here's Jesus. He says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. There it is again, the I, another I am statement. Uh, I am the light of the world. He's reviewing for those of them who weren't paying attention a couple weeks ago when we talked about it. Um, and he says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And again, he's really talking about the idea that like, he has a certain limited amount of time, right? That he's going to do the works of God while he's here in the flesh, but he's also foreshadowing this idea that he's going to go away, right? Now, we understand the rest of the story. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and allows us to do the works of God to create his kingdom all around us, but also we have a limited amount of time that the sun goes down on our lives as well. And so we have to operate, do everything we can to create the kingdom while we have time and while we are able to. After saying this, Jesus does something very, very interesting. And this is why I choose this passage over other blind people receiving sight passages, because I just think this is so weird. Uh, the middle school pastor in me just really wants to go back and reteach this over and over and over in, uh, at, at Bible camp, because just the idea of what this looks like is just so fantastic. So after saying this, he spit on the ground. Okay, what, was it a, okay, never mind, I don't want to, he spit on the ground, it's exactly what it seems like, made some mud with the saliva, so he kneaded mud, 
together and put it on the man's eyes. Now think about this for a second. You've got the disciples who are asking Jesus this question. They're like, Jesus, Todd's been sitting here his whole life. Is he blind because of his own sin or his parents' sin? By the way, Todd didn't ask for this. Okay, I don't know if you've, I was in the hospital a couple years ago, and I had this doctor, this, um, I have actually seen just about every podiatrist within the Alina system. I know them all. There's like seven of them. And um, it's funny that I compare and contrast each one of them against each other. There's one that's a really great surgeon. There's one that's really good at wound care. I have all kinds of foot issues I could fill you in later. Um, but the lady who's the like surgeon at the hospital is a beast. She has no bedside manner at all. Like she just came in and just said things so matter of factly that like when she walked out of the room, I, I cried. That's me. I don't have any like, there's not a soft side to me. You can talk directly to me. You can't offend me. And this lady just made me almost weep. Anyways, so while I'm in the hospital, she comes in completely unaware of herself with a couple of podiatry students with her. And she just walks in. She doesn't ask for my permission. I feel like that's some sort of violation of like my patient privileges. I should have, I have rights. Um, she walks in with these people and she has this like, she picks out like a, a, one of those really long um, uh, Q-tips. Thank you. I'm trying to figure it out. And she starts poking my toe. Now, at the time, I had this huge infection all throughout my body. My blood was infected. My toe was in really, really rough shape. Like, I was in really big trouble. And I was about to have an amputation of my, of my large toe. Uh, if you don't know, I, I'm missing five toes on my left foot. It's, it's a fantastic story that I'll tell you someday that I'm super fun. Um, so she grabs this huge Q-tip, and she just starts jabbing the toe and talking about me as if I'm not even there. She's like, hey, look at how terrible this looks. Okay, so there's necrotic tissue right here, and she's jabbing it. And she's like, look at this thing right here. Like, this is, uh, when we see this, we know this is the end for the toe. And, like, she's saying things, and I'm like, hey, lady. I'm going to try not to say her name because maybe somebody knows her. Uh, she's like, this, has got, this is definitely going to go, right? I just talked to another producer. She's like, yeah, we'll probably take some of it, but like, maybe not the whole thing. She's like, the whole thing's going, and it's going tomorrow as soon as we can get it out. And they're, they're taking notes and stuff. And I'm like, I'm sitting right here, lady. Have you ever had a situation like this? Think about Todd right now. He's sitting there bothering nobody. He's just asking for change, help, you know, asking people to help him out. And the disciples come up, and they just use him in that moment. Hey, did he sin or his parents sin? Jesus is, about, is answering questions about him as though he, so far we don't know anything about Todd. And then Jesus hawks a loogie into the ground and kneads it into mud and wipes it on his face. And Todd is like, what the heck? I did not ask for this. I didn't beg you for forgiveness. <laughs> the fact that you just spread mud all over my face makes this worse, not better. Hi, I don't know if you're aware, but my eyes are already shut. This doesn't change anything. And now I'm dirty. In fact, not only am I dirty, I mean, I already probably was unclean because of, you know, the situation that I'm in, but now you definitely just made me unclean. You took your saliva and you wiped it on me. Now I've got to basically go through purification rituals, right? Like, I don't understand why you just, just did this. Like, what is going through Todd's head as Jesus does this? It's bananas. And I, I want to stop and say, like, the way that Jesus heals here is I'm not... You know, I, I joked earlier when we were doing our, our prayer sir, our prayer thing in the morning that, like, today we'd be talking about, like, a four-step method to healing people when they're blind. 
This is not replicatable. We're not taking notes on how to heal somebody when they're blind. Right? Jesus does this on purpose to make a point. Um, and we're going to find out next week one of the points that he makes is that the fact that he needs the mud makes him violate the Sabbath. Because today is that this day is a Sabbath. The fact that he needs the mud makes him blind. Um, I, I also think there's a connection back to creation where when God makes man, he takes dust and breathes into it and creates man. So there's something about Jesus kneeling down and making this dust unclean on a day when he shouldn't need something and do any work and then spreads it on this guy's face that basically starts a fight with the uh, Pharisees. And then, you know, so Jesus does this thing and Todd's like, what the heck, man? I just wanted a quarter and now you're rubbing mud all over my face. I don't understand what's going on here. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The, the thing that's remarkable, and you have to assume Jesus knows this about this guy, that the level of faith that he has and who Christ is is already there, and his obedience is already ready to go. Like, as they're talking about him, he'd be like, hey, I'm blind, not deaf. I, I can hear you guys. And Jesus tells him, hey, I'm going to rub some mud on your face, and then I want you to go to this specific place and wash in this specific place. His obedience and his faith is what heals him. He doesn't argue. He doesn't complain. He doesn't whine when God does something or calls him to do something. He just obeys. I know this is really difficult for us to understand because sometimes it feels like when something happens to us, it's almost like God is doing something to make it worse. Or it feels like that God is this like kid with a magnifying glass just torturing the ants. But sometimes God calls us to be obedient in ridiculous ways. And it's just a chance for us to uh, express our faith and obedience in what he has called us to do. In the moment, we can't see it. In the moment, it feels like we're getting mud put on our face in a situation where we're already blind, but it's an opportunity for us to go and be made well and be made whole if we would just be obedient. And I think Christians today are so weak-minded and so whiny and expect God to bend over backwards to make them happy all the time that we've turned God into this genie or this cosmic therapist or this vending machine, and when the stuff doesn't come out, we throw a tantrum, and we kick the machine, and we say this genie doesn't work, and we fire the therapist, if I could be so bold. And sometimes God does things to us that don't make any sense, and he calls us to be obedient in ways that don't make any sense, and he's calling us to be obedient in that moment, to express the faith that we have in him, to trust that he knows what he's doing. It's been really difficult to do, and it's something I think was very remarkable about the guy who we're talking about. It goes on, it says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it, that it was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. Can you just imagine Todd coming back and people being like, Is that Todd? I don't think so. And like, Hey, are you Todd? He's like, I'm the man. I'm the man. It's me. I promise, guys. Now, this brings me to a couple, just one more way of looking at this. I, I was listening to this one pastor talk about how, you know, uh, beggars would go close to the temple because that's where good people would go and good people who wanted to give alms would go and give alms to the, to the beggars. So they would, you would sit close to the temple hoping that somebody would come by and give you some money. But I got to ask the question. Nobody recognizes this guy who was sitting there for 20 years. They couldn't even tell if he was really the same guy or not. Like, people walked past him every day, heard him asking for 
for help. Maybe even interacted with them once in a while. It's the same gate. I'm sure there are people going the same way from their house through the same gate every single day, multiple times a day, walking right by him, never really noticing him, never really looking at him. He was there. They knew he was there, but they didn't ever really look at his face. They didn't ever really notice him that he was sitting there needing help. And I think there are a lot of people in our lives, like, I don't want to be the one who, after someone has seen this incredible transformation happen in their life, that we don't even recognize them from what they were to what they are now. Because we have a chance every single day to see the suffering in our world, to look at the person in the eye, to bring about, you know, a connection in their lives, to step in and be Jesus for them in those moments when the suffering isn't figuring itself out or going away. And for us to not know what that guy looked like, it just shows you the, the way that the community dealt with these kinds of situations. They didn't really care. They didn't really think that there was anything to be done there. They figured it was on him or on his parents that created this situation and that he was basically set there to suffer on his own. And I don't know if you've ever suffered on your own, but suffering is not easy to do when you're isolated. Suffering is a lot more bearable when you have a community of people around you to stop and help, to be there with you, to carry the load with you. If if anything Jesus talks about when it comes to suffering is how we're called to suffer with each other and to carry the load for each other and to walk with each other. I don't know how people suffer when they don't have a church that they belong to. I don't know how they suffer when they don't have a small group that they belong to and they don't have people that they can talk with and pray with, share their heart with. I feel like in our small groups, we just take turns from being the one who's suffering and needing help, right? This week, it's this family, and next week, it's that family, and now these people are going through this, and those people are going through that. And we're doing life deeply together. We're carrying the load together. This is what we're called to do, and I don't think Israel had this focus of being in community with the people who were in the most amount of need. They just ignored them. You don't even know what he looks like. So then he said to him, how then are your eyes open? They asked him, and he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where's this man, he asked. I don't know, he said. So Jesus had slipped away. He had called this guy to get up and go wash. He hadn't even waited to show his disciples that this was going to be the outcome, which I think is a beautiful moment. The idea that his disciples were like, oh, okay, cool, you healed that guy, and then they just move on. You know, and you could ask the question why Jesus just picks the one guy and not, there are probably many beggars sitting in the same place right there. Um, And, you know, there are moments when Jesus does something like this, picks one person out of the crowd, probably because of their their faith or something about them that Jesus just wanted to use this one specific instance. But there are also times in Scripture where it says Jesus' disciples met every single person for an entire day as they came and brought people to them and healed all of them. John, when he talks about his writing here, he says that there are so many things that Jesus did. I, you could fill up every book in the entire world and it wouldn't be able to hold all the miracles that Jesus did while he was here. So I feel like we miss, we get in the weeds when we ask the question, why this guy, why now? Because Jesus often did every, would heal everybody for a significant amount of time. It also doesn't tell us that he didn't heal anyone else. We don't know. So it may be that he stood there and healed every person that was sitting at the gate. We don't know. We don't know how it went down. But John tells us this story because he wants us to understand that our obedience to Jesus, even when we don't exactly understand the situation, is going to be the key to us following God. That he calls for us to make him Lord and be obedient when he calls us 
to do something. And this idea of sin and suffering, maybe they go together in some way, but it's not us that creates these sort of situations. We can create suffering in our lives, but in these moments, we have to sit back and go, our world is just broken. This doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. Jesus didn't create it this way. He didn't want there to be blind people. He didn't want there to be people in wheelchairs. He didn't want children to have cancer. You know, those things exist in our world because it's broken. Those things exist in our world because there is a, a residual effect of sin in our world that all of us are, are a party to, not just this man or his parents. Now, this is going to go further next week as we kind of get into the conversation. The, the, uh, the Pharisees come and they start interrogating the man who's got his sight back. They bring his parents in to verify his identity because they still can't agree that he is who he is. Um, and he says some pretty unbelievable, amazing stuff about Jesus that we'll focus in on. It's really next week is more about, hey, how do you handle a skeptical heart? You know, when you're a Pharisee and you believe there's no way this is true, how do you go about dealing with that kind of a, a viewpoint um, and how Jesus helps them kind of work through that? But as we go today, I just want us to, to consider this idea that, yes, suffering is in our world, but it's really because our world is broken. All right, let me pray for us as we go. Jesus, thank you for this uh, picture of this healing, and thank you for the message that you're sending to us even now, that you work through obedience, you call us to be obedient, God, even when we don't see the outcome, that this isn't the way you created it. There's definitely something wrong in our world, God, and would you just allow us to be the kind of people that carry the load for people, that create your kingdom even when it's not here, even when it, it does seem broken, God, that we would be... Uh, ambassadors for your kingdom everywhere we go. We would carry a piece of it in us and our testimonies would call people to action uh, into knowing who you are. God, would you use us in this very broken world to be the kind of people that shine a light into it, um, the kind of people that create the right kind of kingdom in those places where there is suffering. And God, would we not walk by people suffering and not see their faces? Would we have empathy would we enter into it with them? God, would we carry the load for them? We thank you for the opportunity to create your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.